Bob Summers is the only truly happy farmer I have ever met. Now, I have served parishes with lots of wonderful farmers, but Bob Summers, who lives on Cognac Farm in London, Ohio, is the only farmer I know who is truly happy. Usually, the farmers are unhappy about something, lots of things, really, like the rain, you know, too much, too little, too late, too early, or they grouse about crop yields, great yield, low prices, low yield, not enough crops to make ends meet even with the higher prices. Or they take exception to the weather. It's too cold, it's too hot, it's too windy. Well, you get the picture. But Bob Summers is always smiling and his standard response whenever anyone asks how things are going on the farm, with a beaming smile and bright red cheeks and both eyes twinkling, he always replies with a gusto you just can't doubt when he says, the good Lord has always taken care of me and I'm convinced that he always will. Bob gives the same reply, whether it's in the middle of a drought, right after a hailstorm, or in the midst of the best year ever. Bob Summers happily puts his whole trust in God Bob is truly a happy farmer. Now the farmer in our parable for today is what I'm calling an opportunistic farmer. And I think he's pretty happy too, walking through the countryside with a bag of seeds over one shoulder, generously broadcasting seeds to the left and to the right, not worrying whether the ground is rocky or plowed or weedy or hard packed. He's not concerned one bit by the hungry birds, the lack of shade, or the amount of water. This farmer is intent on sowing seeds with a singular focus and equal expectation for each and every seed that is sown. Someone who is opportunistic, according to Webster's Dictionary, is someone who takes advantage of all the opportunities as they arise. This parable is about the ultimate opportunistic farmer. Now, I understand that most of the time the word opportunistic is used to describe negative behaviors, like someone exploiting opportunities with little regard for principle. Some animals are opportunistic feeders. They'll eat anything they find. Sometimes that's how bears are described. Some microorganisms are opportunistic and become deadly invaders of the human body. But the farmer in our parable today is opportunistic in the sense that he is completely focused on planting seeds. And Jesus looks at the crowd and says, listen up, take note. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. And you see, that really was the focus of most of Jesus' preaching, even when he was sparring with the scribes and the Pharisees about keeping their arbitrary rules and regulations. Frederick Beekner, noted scholar, preacher, and author, writes about the way Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And I quote, The kingdom of God is not a place, of course, but a condition. Kingship might be a better word. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what Jesus prays. And so in Jesus' mind, we see that the two are actually the same. Insofar as God's kingly will is being done in various odd ways among us, even at this very moment, the kingdom has come already. Insofar as all the odd ways we do God's will at this moment are at best half-baked and half-hearted, 
the kingdom is still a long way off, a hell of a long way off, to be more precise and theological. Now remember, I'm still quoting Beekner. He continues, as a poet, Jesus is maybe at his best in describing the feeling you get when you glimpse the thing itself, the kingship of the king official at last. It's like finding a million dollars in the field, he says, or, or a jewel worth a king's ransom. It's like finding something you hated to lose and thought you'd never find again. An old keepsake, a stray sheep, a missing child. When the kingdom really comes, it's as if the thing you lost and thought you'd never find again is yourself. Beechner shared those ideas in his book called Wishful Thinking. Most scholars agree that Jesus' primary message was that the kingdom of God is among us. He proclaimed that message through his preaching and his teaching, his miracles, even in his encounters with his detractor, even and especially through his suffering, death, and glorious resurrection. When Beekner describes Jesus as a poet, it's because Jesus was so good at painting word pictures of human feelings and emotions. The literary devices he used were not rhyme and rhythm, but rather simple stories about everyday experiences. We call them parables. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore some of Jesus' parables as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Our series starts with a parable of the sower. I don't know about you, but I often hear this parable something like this. Look, there's this sower out there in the world sowing seeds. Some fell on the path where, of course, the birds came and ate them right up. Some of the other seed fell on rocky patch where, you know, it just didn't take root. Some more seeds fell among the thorns, and you know what happens when good seeds fall among the thorns. All is lost. There's no hope. And then the sower went and spread some of his seed on good, fertile soil, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. So what does this mean for us? Well, you got to get out there and spread the Word of God. You got to teach people the Bible and tell them about Jesus. You got to bring Jesus to everyone in the world, especially those tough places where it's largely hopeless because people really are usually beyond the pale. Find the people that are ready and make sure you double down your work among them because that's how we grow the church. We seem to just naturally read this parable not as the parable of the sower, but as the parable of the judgment of the soil. Ultimately, this interpretation just turns Jesus into a cynic. When we approach this text or our lives only with the knowing and judging of good and evil, we miss out on some really important stuff Jesus is trying to tell us. In fact, this is one of the rare instances where Jesus actually explains what he's talking about. He, he literally unfolds and unpacks the parable. And yet for many, it is still about as clear as mud. He who has ears, let him hear. Another way of saying that is, are you listening, really listening? Because you see, it's meant to jolt us out of whatever else we're doing, whatever else we're thinking or worrying about and to get us to simply pay attention. Now, I suppose we always ought to pay attention to Jesus. But to be honest, 
Have you ever read Jesus' parables really closely? They say things like, therefore, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I don't think that anyone's doing us any, of a, any kind of a favor by telling us that the parables are just easy to understand. If you sometimes find the Bible difficult to interpret, take comfort. It is pretty tough sometimes. But I have a suggestion for reading Jesus' parables. If on the first time you read through it, there's nothing surprising or, or shocking about the, what you've read, then it's likely time to go back and read it again. You see, Jesus' parables serve a purpose sort of like riddles. Now, the point of a riddle isn't to inform you. It isn't supposed to give you information that's going to be necessarily useful in the next few moments. If anything, it's quite the opposite of that. Riddles pull our minds in to confound them, and that kind of dislocation from our usual ways of thinking actually helps us to open up and think in new and surprising and wonderful ways. Jesus uses parables like that sometimes, and we do well to listen because Jesus is teaching us about God, suggesting that God is like a farmer who tosses seed out into the parking lot for the pigeons to eat, and in the surprising harvest that grows, we find a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Isaiah's famous prophetic word is coming true. Remember what Isaiah said? He said, come, anyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Jesus is announcing that what the prophet envisioned is now a developing reality among us. The kingdom of God has come. We are called to treat God's love, God's justice, God's blessing, precious as these are, as if they were absolutely limitless in supply for one simple reason. They give life. This parable reveals something radical about the nature of God. This is what one author says about this parable. First of all, the sower is God the Father, not Jesus. What Jesus turns out to be, since he is the word, is the seed that is sown. But note what that in turn means. It means that on just the terms of the parable, Jesus has already and literally been sown everywhere in the world and quite without a single bit of earthly cooperation or even consent. Instead, we often act as if the word wasn't anywhere until we got there with him, thinking that we bring Jesus to the heathens when in fact all we had to do was bring the good news of what the word, who was already there, had done for them. We see and hear and still don't quite catch on. You see, the ways we think or assume aren't the ways of God. We'd prefer to talk about a blueprint a plan with three easy steps. You know, just add water and bam, there's your result. But Jesus prefers to talk about seeds that die and come back to life. 
that Jesus is somehow present when two or three are, are gathered together, that Jesus is somehow present in the stuff of this world, in bread and wine and water. And of course, Jesus prefers to demonstrate not by jumping down off the cross and proving his power, but by dying, entering into the earth, and rising again, much like the mystery of sowing seeds. A different sort of power is at work, not the power we'd prefer, perhaps, because Jesus is concerned not with the sweet by and by, but with real life right now. Real soil, real people, real hopes, real dreams. So, some birds snatch away the seed on the path. Guess what? That may be, reg be regrettable, even tragic. The point is that the seed goes on to do its work regardless. There aren't any magical tricks or shortcuts or hocus-pocus moves to unlock the power of the seed. There's just real-world cultivation, possibilities, and consequences. So what does that mean for us? How are we supposed to respond? How, then, are we called to live? In order to respond to Jesus' parable of the sower, we can't forget, in fact, we ought to remember very well how the gospel writer John kicks off his whole gospel. Remember how John starts? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing was made. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So our job is to point to the word, that thing that gives real, lasting, sustainable, beautiful power and life in the world. It might be mysterious and confusing and sometimes hard to see, but we can feel it right here in our guts. That's the life that is truly life. That's been there all along and is for everyone, no matter what. There's a wonderful story told of two friends, one a believer and the other a non-believer. They were soldiers together in World War II, and throughout their experience together, the one kept trying to tell the other about his faith that held him up. The other, who did not believe, was injured grievously and was dying. His friend was literally holding him, and the injured man looked into the eyes of his friend and said, you know, I'm going to die, and I'm really sorry that I never learned to believe in God. And his friend looked down at him and said, you don't have to be sorry for that. God believes in you. That soldier was not only a good friend to his dying companion, but he was an opportunistic farmer sowing seeds of grace and love in the most unfavorable but critical life setting possible. Do you trust good news like that? Do you trust that God believes in you even when you can't believe in God? God's seeds are literally thrown everywhere. 
today if you're asking some questions like this. Why about, what about this dry, empty time in my life right now, God? How am I going to make it through this pandemic? How can I change my racist feelings? Those are your questions. Dare to just offer to God the authentic soil of your life. Dare to be honest with God, to be open to God, to trust in God who loves you. Then just stand back and watch. Or if today you're in a place of, of comfort and joy, steady in your faith, dare to be honest with others who are struggling in their lives, risk being vulnerable so others can see God at work in you. And then stand back and just watch. Just watch what God can do with that kind of soil and soul. It's enough to make radical believers out of us all. Maybe tough to explain, but when you see it, when you experience it, you'll know that it's true. Month or so, we received the following letter here at the office. Dear Stony Brook Church, I lived in Gahanna for 28 years and attended Stony Brook. All three of my children grew up in the church and participated in the Appalachian Service Project. It changed their lives. When my youngest was old enough to go to ASP, I decided I wanted to see what it was about ASP that changed lives. So I went and I served on teams with John Robb, Dick Vandegrift, John Wilson, Carl and Karen Hupp. You cannot explain ASP. You have to experience it. I've lived in Virginia now for the past 20 years and attend a small United Methodist Church. My three grandchildren are the only youth in our church. So when I watched Stony, Stony Brook's graduation Sunday, I was sad that they weren't going this year but so happy to hear that the program, that ASP, is still important at Stony Brook. It gives me great pleasure to contribute to the Class of 2020 fundraiser for ASP. I hope you reach your goal. Well, I checked with Ben, and we did reach our goal, by the way. Actually, we exceeded it. And then she signs the letter, Grace and Peace, Judy Kaufman. Did you hear that? Judy is an opportunistic farmer for the kingdom of God. And you taught her how to do that through your 45-year commitment to ASP that pledges to make homes in Appalachia warmer, safer, and drier. And in the process of building ramps and fixing porches and roofs and installing drywall, shoring up foundations, doing underpinning and all the rest, the kingdom of God is growing, and each year a new crop of opportunistic farmers graduates from ASP, inspired to just do the right thing and let God take care of the rest. Sometimes we make being a Christian too difficult. It's really pretty simple. Just start throwing seeds right and left with abandon. And what the birds and the drought and the hard-packed earth and Satan himself don't get, stuff's going to grow. And that opportunistic farmer in the parable is going to start having a harvest. And he's going to harvest some grain one of these days. Some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. Can you believe that? And I've got some really good news for you. God believes in you. Jesus is the seed. Listen up, my friends. Listen up and just tell the world what Jesus 
has already done for you. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we bow before you this day, humbled by the the awesome, great good news that you, the God of time and eternity, believe in us. We are so grateful that you have personally sent your son Jesus, the very word, into the world because your love is without limits. Speaking to the deep reaches of our souls today, speak the way only your Holy Spirit can speak. Move in us and move us into action to believe that you love us and that the living word, Jesus, your son, is in the world and in our lives today. And once we believe and accept what you have done for us, give us the tools, the opportunities, and the gumption to go tell everyone we meet the great things that you have done and are doing for us. We pray boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.